Hello and welcome back to A Drunk History of Middle-earth. This is a show where we take the Legendarium, created by J.R. Tolkien, and have a good, simple, wholesome chat about it. Sometimes it's a drunk person, me, trying to explain stories or events, and sometimes it's breaking down the stories and concepts as if we're talking to a drunk person. I'm Chris, I'm an avid Tolkien nerd, I'm still learning and realising how much I actually don't know. And joining me is your co-host and my lovely wife, Rebecca. Do you want to say hello? Hello, I'm Rebecca, uh, a complete novice to all things Tolkien and um, nerdy in general. Although now I've watched all three films, extended editions, and can now confirm that I have been converted to the religion headed by L. Ron Tubbard. Long may he live. <laughs> right. <laughs> Zoltan. Zoltan. <laughs> that's the intro sorted. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you been this week? Good. I started the week very, well, not stressed, just exhausted and mentally broken by our ill child. And then halfway through the week, she's perked up and I now feel great. So everything in the, the world's lovely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, we were saying earlier, it's like the ultimate Stockholm syndrome, having a kid, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. So kids had tonsillitis. Been, uh, I've been ill as well. I've been very ill this week. Um I can finally talk again without feeling like I'm being choked, hence we're recording this on Saturday instead of a Friday. And we're child-free for the night, which... Woo-hoo! Yeah, but I want I want to cry more than I thought I would, which we already... Yeah. You spend all the time... Like, sometimes when you're stressed, you're thinking, oh, I wish, I wish they could stay at the grandparents. And then they stay at the grandparents, and you're like, oh, I wish they were here. But, uh, momentous occasion, we... Well, well we started uh, the, the Twin Towers, which, um, if you didn't know, is, is Gandalf takes a giant eagle... And he flies it into Orthanc. And then there's a long war where Gandalf goes into hiding and sends threatening messages to Middle-earth in a cave. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, I miss something. Do you not know what that's in a reference to? No. What the fuck? What is wrong with you? Gandalf flies into a cave with, on a giant, giant eagle. I know this is a drunk history in Middle-earth, but have you been taking <laughs> drugs? What's a giant eagle? Oh, my God. I was... I was making a joke about the Twin Towers instead of the Two Towers. Uh, there you go. Proves you don't have to be funny to get married. She can absolutely hate all of you, hate your jokes, and still want to share a life with you. <laughs> no, we started watching uh, the Two Towers, extended edition. Um, so we watched part one on Thursday night, ready for Friday, and then we couldn't record on Friday because I was too ill. Um, so, yeah, here we are. So... What were your thoughts overall on uh, Don't Look At Me Like That? Um, I'm not going to say what I was ill with, because um, <laughs> it's not very nice. Why are you laughing at me? You're meant to, like, I'm sure our vows said something about in sickness and in health. <laughs> and I'm still here. Yeah, but you're laughing at me. You're making fun of me for being ill. Whatever. Right. What did you think about The Two Towers? Part um, one. Don't confuse me with parts and discs. And right, okay, films. right. Okay, so. Um... The movie you watched the other night. What were your thoughts on it? Can you just just rejig my memory? I would hope. It opens with the the shot of the mountains, absolutely beautiful. You hear Gandalf's voice, and you hear the last oh. bits of the Minds of Moria where they're like they're, they're shouting for him and stuff. And then what happens? 
You see Gandalf falling into the chasm. Right, okay, yeah. So, um, you see, like, an alternative shot. Yeah. So I liked how they gave more of a perspective on the time that he falls. Because, mm. like, that's him falling into the bowels of the earth, pretty much, like. Yeah, he clearly kind of is like, this is the end, so he goes full throttle. Mm. He's like, right, I'm going to smash my sword in every part of your body. So just before that then, overall, your thoughts on the film overall? What were your thoughts on the film uh, overall? It was all right, but not not like super exciting to me, I think, because it was more sort of like what you would class as the everyday almost. It's a lot of build-up, yeah. In comparison yeah. to like other, the other discs. Right, so at the end of Fellowship, you've got the fight with where Boromir dies and all the, the Urukai... Um, and just Mary's humans just aren't as exciting. Well, we yeah we were talking about this and that fellowship deals mainly with hobbits and elves. Yeah. And then this one, it's a lot of the history of man, which I freely admit right up front, it's not my strong point with Tolkien, um, and especially the kingdoms of Ro- the kingdom of Rohan, which um, is is very young in comparison to other. Things. It's only about five hundred years old. Um, whereas with the men, like the the Edine, which is where all the men descended from, everyone seems to tend to focus on Numenor and then Gondor and that. Whereas Rohan is, are amazing in their own right. Yeah, but, I feel um, like any scenes with uh, the the human <coughs> people in there felt a bit games of th- like Game of Thrones. Like it was that sort of medieval style survival of kingdoms, more so than like individual stories. Well, yeah, this is so. This is um, quite rightly like. If you look at Fellowship, the way it was shot, I can see kind of what you're saying, where there was a lot of individualistic, like it was about the Fellowship setting out and the Fellowship as nine individuals. Whereas you, you I kind of see where you're coming from because we have a lot of politics, like we see Theoden as being controlled by Saruman, Saruman's raising an army, Wormtongue manipulates the court to, to get Aylmer banished so i can see it's, it's kind of like a lot of politics isn't it it's, it's more like macro you're seeing the bigger movements that and, and that's by design isn't it it's um it's the war for the ring is about to start and that's what they kind of lead up to is so we'll see when we watch the second part next week um this first disc is a lot of build-up and you're going to see you're going to start to see the payoff in the second half of this film and then return of the king as well i also felt that the um it was confusing the different groups of people. So they're right. all human. Like, the yeah. majority are humans within this film. Yeah. But there's so many different divisions. So, yeah, so you've got, like, um, you've got the Dúnedain, which is Aragorn is, like, the leader of those, and those are the Rangers of the North. Then you've got Rohan. You've got Gondor. Um, you've got the, uh, the, Dun- the words start to melt in yeah, the Yeah, you've got the Dunlendings. <laughs> well, you've even got the Dunlendings who, um, who who fight for Saruman. Um, but we'll get on to that. So, all right. So overall, you thought it was a bit more focused on like the bigger picture. Yeah. But it was like the pieces moving around kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think you might be pleasantly pleased with the next bit then, uh, the next film we're gonna, uh, the next part we're gonna watch because there's a lot of well, there's battles in it. Um, it's just basically it's a lot of the payoff that this had to settle, especially with it being the extended edition. Um, I don't think anybody in their right mind should watch the theatrical version of Lord of the Rings. Um, I, I just don't think it's worth it. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a lot of setup. But yeah, so we'll, we'll go back to what we see at first. So you mentioned the sense of scale is bigger. Um, we see Gandalf, and you see how small they are, him and the Balrog are, as they fall down the chasm into the the water. Um, so that is uh, that that is them falling. Into the bowels of the earth, like the bowels of of 
basic. So do you know how the Watcher in the Water from the first bit in the Mines of Moria? Mm. And I mentioned that was something called a nameless thing. Yeah, that's where the, these nameless things come from. Uh, yeah, kind of. They live in the bowels of the earth, a lot of them. And Gandalf mentions in the book in particular that he won't talk about what he saw down there. But it basically, um, do you know when you had in the Mines of Moria again in the Fellowship where they're talking about it's a four-day journey to the other side? Yeah. Well, Gandalf gives some perspective again of the battle. So him and the Balrog are fighting I think it's like a week straight, pretty much. Like, and that that shows the level of power they've got is that they're both going hammer and tongs for they're going out of hammer and tongs for that long. Um, and they go from the bottom, right at the the bowels of the earth, right to the top of the mountain, and they fight they fight up something called the endless stair, which in the book Gimli is surprised to learn exists because he thought it had been lost thousands of years ago. Which again comes back to those themes that this is a world in decline, isn't it? This things are being forgotten. You know, things are being forgotten and and knowledge is being lost. Um, something I did want to bring up that I don't think. I mentioned in our Fellowship of the Ring episode is do you know when Gandalf's on the um, on the he's on the the, the, the he's on the bridge sorry and he um, cracks his staff down and he says uh, uh, flame of Udun and he says like I'm the wielder of the flame of Anor yeah so what I wanted to mention is um, flame of Udun is from my research Udun refers to Atumno, which before the first age of Middle-earth, Melkor or Morgoth, do you remember Sauron's boss? Yeah. He comes to Middle-earth and he makes a giant fortress called Atumno, U-T-U-M-N-O, and that is where some of the Balrogs live. So Gandalf is saying, like, I know who you are and where you come from. And Atumno was destroyed um, during one of the big battles, and he then fled to his other famous fortress called Angband, which um, comes in, well, it doesn't come into play in Lord of the Rings because it was in Beleriand, which was sank long before. Um, that is Gandalf basically saying, I know you're evil, motherfucker. I know Almost who you are. like when priests are doing exorcisms. Yes. Say, I know your name and it gives them the power over the... Pretty much, but it, it's almost, you know, if we're going down that line of uh, thinking, it's more like, um, I know you come from the fires of hell. Yeah. So it's kind of that thing. And then Gandalf says he is... Um, he, he serves the flame of Arnor. It's not Arnor, which is the Northern Kingdom. It's Anor, A-N-O-R, which basically means the sun. It's the spirit of the sun. And uh, he also mentions, I'm a servant of the flame imperishable. And that's Gandalf saying, I'm a servant of Eru Iluvatar, the one true God. God. You're on the side of evil, the flame of Otumno, and I serve the secret fire uh, the, the, the Anor. I serve the sun, the good, the god. Um, because Eru Iluvatar is in possession of something called the flame imperishable. And that is what he uses to create life. And Morgoth spent a long, 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 long time in the void uh, around creation looking for Eru's flame imperishable so that Morgoth could create. And we know, obviously, he wasn't successful because Morgoth can't create and evil can't create. They can only corrupt and twist. Yeah. Um, but that, I just wanted to, to, to point that out. But yeah, so uh, Fro- we turn out, it turns out that this is a, a dream that Frodo was having. Uh, so maybe, well, maybe a vision of Gandalf. And they're making their way through the Emin Wheel, which is... <laughs> For some reason, sounds like Emmental. Uh, yeah, I know you've brought this up before. You've brought this up before. I think you just watch Lord of the Rings for things to get hungry about. <laughs> it's just because every now and then... <laughs> Something that has nothing to do with food. You'll just be like, oh, that sounds like food. Elrond Hubbard wasn't about food, though. Or if you ate his ass. 
Oh, oh, jeez. Oh. <laughs> Can we keep this PG, please? I'm going to stick my tongue in your Rivendell. Oh, right, sure. <laughs> I'm going to get... Uh, <laughs> right, no. I'm going to get no, lamb lamb all over my face. That's disgusting. But yeah, they're making their way through the Emin Wheel, and they're not him and Sam are not having a good time of it. They're lost uh, a lot. They 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 get lost. But um, after some some back and forth, we see that Sam has a lovely scene where he's got that box of salt. Um, do you know where he's the saying piece of home? Yeah, and he said he kept it right. He keeps it right at the bottom of his bag. Okay, uh, I've got it. Fifth with cooked chicken. Yeah, and we have written nice. Yeah, exactly. See the food thing. Eh? I forgot <laughs> that, but he, he does say if we have a nice roast chicken. Yeah, this was a big mistake. I knew we should have had tea before we recorded this. <laughs> I honestly thought that sandwich you had earlier would have tidied you over, and I was wrong. You've just had a pack of crisps, and you're still hungry. Uh, I can see it in your eyes. But anyway, yeah, Sam has his, his salt that he keeps, and he did, we do see he gets to use it later with um, one of the, the very memeable moments. Like I said, yeah, he's, he's nice brace. And brace of conies. I was saying that this, of all the films... I think this is the one that's most memed because there's so many. Um, you know that one I sent to you, where um, where Frodo, it's 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 pretty much in this scene after the the magic rope. So Sam has elven rope that they used to climb down, and then they're a bit depressed because they think they're gonna have to leave it. But one tug and the rope comes undone. And in the books, right, I'm pretty sure in the books Frodo is just like, yeah, whatever, you fuck it, you're full of shit, like you just didn't tie it properly. Yeah, that's... but whereas in the film, he was just like, oh, elven magic, cool. Um, and then move on. I wasn't. Sh- I didn't get the elven magic bit. I was just like that was a confusion point for me. That I thought it has it come undone because of elven magic, or has it just not been tied properly? I didn't hear that it actually was elven. Uh, magic, well, so the hobbits. The hobbits think it's elven magic. Okay. But it is elven rope, and we will come on to the properties of elven items in a minute because there is something I wanted to mention. What I did think while watching this is it's unfortunate that Aragorn did let them go to the Eastern Shore by themselves, you know, when they crossed the Anduin at the end of the Fellowship, because Aragorn has been through the Emin Wheel. Stop smiling, it's not trees. <laughs> it's sharp rock. Um, Aragorn has been through the Emin Wheel at least twice, because he captures Gollum and then brings him back through that way, and he takes him to uh, to Mirkwood. So uh, so when Gandalf's looking for... He's, he's investigating in the, you know, the 17 years between Bilbo leaving the Shire and Frodo leaving the Shire. Yeah. Uh, Gandalf is searching desperately for any information about the One Ring, and he, sets, he sends Aragorn out to try and capture Gollum to see if he can. And Aragorn is successful. He does capture Gollum. And he captures him around the edge of the Dead Marsh, yeah. which we we see the hobbits come to in a bit. And he brings him back through the Emin Wheel across the Anduin, and he takes him eventually to the elves of uh, Mirkwood. Yeah, do you know where the the in the Hobbit films where they get captured for a bit and then they escape in the barrels? Um, Gollum's there and he's treated nicely as a prisoner until Sauron figures out he's there. And one day they're, they're really nice to Gollum as a prisoner, the elves, and they take him out for a walk. And he just climbs up a tree and just won't come back down. Just being an absolute little dick. Um, but it's conveniently, I'm doing quotes here, conveniently that's the time that Mirkwood is attacked by orcs and Gollum's able to get free. Right. So my, my point being, like, it's if Aragorn had, had have let, have stuck with him maybe a day or two more, he might have been able to guide them through the Emin Wheel and save them a lot of heartache. Then we wouldn't have this uh, character progression. 
Yeah, we, we wouldn't see Gollum. Peace fraught moment. Yeah, well, yeah, true. Um, well, they have a moment where they're looking at their food in their bags, and Sam's saying, oh, look, it's Lembas. Oh, look, more Lembas. Yeah. And then Frodo has that great moment where he says nothing. He looks over his shoulder and he's like, nothing ever dampens your spirits, Sam. And I, that was when I sent that picture to you of um, where it says, like, when your friend's eating your ass and your fart, and he keeps going. <laughs> Chris! Says, nothing ever dampens your spirits. I'm just saying, it's, it's, a, it's a great meme. Um, it made me howl. That just shows your humour. I'm laughing about Emmental wheels. Still? Yes. Oh, goodness me, woman. <laughs> I'm trying to cover it up with my blankie. Oh, but they know they're not alone. Gollum jumps them. And uh, after a good bit of fighting, did you notice that Gollum at one point crawls up the wall and jumps off like a wrestler off the top row? Yeah. Which I just thought was... But even the way Sam like pulled Gollum back with the rope and he slams down. Yeah, it's just... It's crazy. But yeah, eventually they, they capture him because um, like Frodo pulls Sting on, on Gollum and he's like... You've seen it before. And he says, like, if you move, I'll cut your throat. And then Gollum, I hated this. I hate these moments where Gollum just starts, like, going, nah, like, just like an absolute div. Yeah. I fucking hate it. And I've written my note, wrote in my notes here that I'd have fucking ended, ended him at this point, the whiny little shit. And I don't know why I wrote that so strongly. But, um, yeah, according... Was it, was it a bad night with the child? I don't know what it was, but, uh, it was, it was, yeah, well, um, well basically, I, I'd wrote there, like, he starts screeching and I just wrote, I'd, I'd, I'd have ended him here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the next day we see he's being led along by the Elvish road, but he's screeching and screaming. Now, the reason that he's screeching and screaming, and we see later when he tries to eat the Lembas as well, is Gollum has spent 500 years with the ring, the One Ring, right? And it's twisted him and it, it, it's evil's infected him. Whether Gollum is truly evil is kind of, I think it's up to interpretation, but... All artifacts, pretty much, made by elves are anathema to evil. So the rope burns him because he's got... He's like, you don't have to have a purely pure heart, but if you have a corrupt heart like Gollum does, it, it, it causes you physical pain to touch things. Because the elves are, like, basically they're full of grace. They they carry the light of the two trees. A lot of them do. Um, they Basically, they're otherworldly. Like, elves live half in the real world, half in the, the spirit realm a lot of the time because of how strong their fear is. Yeah. So, the, like, when he's not just play-acting, basically, when the ropes, he's saying the rope burning him because it really, really is burning him. Um, but speaking of elves, we then come to the Dead Marshes. What were your thoughts about that when you saw just all the, the you know, like all the paths that got to go through and the ghosts and bodies under the water? It was just really, really yucky. Because it's that, like, I, I would have preferred to have seen skeletons. <laughs> it's a fact that you see, like, as if they're asleep and they've been, like, frozen in time almost underneath the water. Hmm. That makes it more eerie. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, the reason I asked, though, what your thoughts were, because the, the Dead Marshes are pretty fucked up. Um, not in terms of what they are, but in terms of their influence. So the Dead Marshes weren't always as big as they are. They um, where they, where they're travelling across is um, I can't remember what the plains uh, the plains is actually called, but it used to be a plain. And it was do you know the the, the war you saw right at the beginning of the films yeah. where is the last alliance of elves and men where they fight Sauron? That was one of the battlefields, and those elves you see under there are mainly elves from Lothlorien. They, they were killed there. And lots of them were, were driven into the Dead Marshes or killed on the plains. And after the, the battle, a lot of them were buried around there. However, 
over the years, because it's 3,000 years since the Battle of the Last Alliance, right? That was the start of the Third Age. We're now at the end of the Third Age. And the, the, the marshes grew over time. The water spread. And that preserved the bodies and encaptured them. So the marshes spread and spread and spread. And that's why all the bodies are there. That's why they, they can, that's why they can see them. It's that, it's all that. But what's really fucked up, right? Is when I looked into it is, um, allegedly, and Tolkien said this himself. He most likely, or he said, I might have, but most likely took inspiration from his experiences in World War One. And in particular, the Battle of the Somme. So there was all, do you know, no man's land that everyone yeah. knows in World War One? The bomb craters, when it rained heavily, yeah. the bomb craters would fill up and the bodies would float to the surface. Yeah, um, it felt eerie before then, like it before you're telling us that. Like that's the stuff of nightmares, really, for me. Yeah, I, because it, it reminds me a lot of like the woman in black, like the kid. Oh the, yeah. The marshland mm. and just how preserved he is. I mean, that kid when he gets. Oh yeah, out, when he's just covered in mud. Yeah. Uh, like oh. Oh, that film creeps me out so yeah, much. It just reminded me of that whenever I hear of marshland mm. and like even um, it evokes kind of. You know, um, Haunting of Hill House, the, oh, the yeah. second one. Oh, Bly Manor. Where the woman's in the... Oh, in the pond, in the pond. yeah. It's that, it's when water and death are mixed, it makes me feel icky. Yeah, it, it, it's always been like, pretty like, ooh, the, the dead marshes. Um, but reading the influence, I was just like, oh, that is... That's grim. That's um, like... Amazing, but fucking like fascinating. Do you know, like when Harry Potter goes to Ollivander's and he's like, Voldemort did great things, terrible, yes, but great. I was yeah. kind of like, kind of like the same. God, how millennial am I that I'm making a Harry Potter reference? Fuck me. Um, but yeah, I felt exactly the same. I was like, this is terrible, but fascinating. Maybe it was cathartic for him, I suppose, because a yeah. lot of people who went who were in both wars yeah. or a war didn't talk about their experiences when they came home so because they were that horrific so it was maybe a cathartic process well it's like Mark Corrigan says they just uh, put their heads down and built the NHS they didn't talk about yeah. it uh, but yeah no you're right it, that's a very good point it wouldn't, I imagine it would have been very cathartic but yeah then we move on uh, when they, they're going through the, the the dead marshes well Frodo decided to take a, a first dive into the water now in the movie it looks like he's kind of like tempted by the ring and stuff i think in the book it's either outright stated or implied that it's basically it's just a marsh gases and he passes out and he mm. falls into the water well it's because the corpse in the water's eyes open don't they? oh yeah like and it that's starts, what yeah. Pulls in, so it's almost like the the influence of the marsh but not in the sense of just its physical properties that mm. it's gases like it's gases risen and and as you'll know as you'll know from your education of last week elves don't tend to hang around as ghosts do they where do elves go they go to um that beautiful heaven like place yeah but where do they go before that to they go uh, to the halls the halls of uh, if you think of barry manilow the song oh mandos you came and you saved me from middle earth no the halls of mandos Nah. That's where I elves go. I would not have got that from the Barry Manilow song. Oh, Mandy. Mandy Mandos. It's the same. Okay. I'll remember for next time. Yeah. Just Maybe. think. Barry Manilow. The Valar. But uh, yeah. So yeah. There wouldn't be elven ghosts really would there? If they go there. There might be male ghosts. Uh, sorry. Not male. Human ghosts. 
but uh, probably not not so elves. Why? Why did they use that in the film? Do you think? Um, I think it's the same reason. It might be the. I think it's the ring potentially creating that vision in um, Frodo's mind. Maybe, but I think it's the same reason why um, the book, uh, the film, show a giant red eye as if that's Sauron in the books. That doesn't exist. It's yeah. just uh, it's just a way to show. Represent. It's just yeah, it's just a way to to, to visualize an abstract, well, not an abstract concept, but like Sauron has a physical form allegedly in the books, and he's a bit essentially he's sat in a tower in physical form directing things, but you can't really show that in film without it being quite boring. So Peter Jackson and, and co came up with the, the flaming eye. So maybe it was the same thing with the dead marshes. Like we need to show just how spooky they are, ghosts. Like and that was it, just ghosts. Yeah. But, oh, you know. But uh, anyway, we move speed there and we see, we catch up with Merry and Pippin uh, and the Urukai. So, what, again, what were your, your thoughts on Merry and Pippin's situation? Like, when you saw that they were on the backs of the Urukai being ran? Not a lot, because it doesn't give you a lot of. I mean, Pippin obviously has quite a good idea to drop the brooch. Yes. So, he's leaving like a. A breadcrumb trail, mm. but it's not until later, obviously, that their characters develop a little more because it's such a short scene, really. Yeah, they're they're very smart. Like I know we we joke and clown on and say like Pippin's a div, he is but so but he has, I I think um I'd be willing to wager quite a lot that by the end of the films you may have quite a different opinion of Pippin seeing the growth he goes through. He's just very innocent because he's never been out the shire. He is the youngest of the hobbits, I think, as well. He is yeah. the youngest. Um, did you? What did you think of the difference between the Urukai and the Orcs? Like, were you picking up the fact that it's kind of like a faction difference, or like it was two competing factions of bad yeah, guys? Yeah, so it definitely follows suit with other kind of groups of bodies in films and even mm. within the world. That when you're that type of bad. Even when you try to group up and build your forces, because they have no loyalty and they've already strayed from the path of good, they um, they fight within each other because they they ultimately aren't good good beings. So they they're gonna fight between each other because they've got no real sort of good moral compass. Mm. Um, they have no rules. They do what they want to an extent. So. Um, it's easy for them to turn on each other. Well, you can also see they've got two competing like orders as well. So you've got the orcs, the smaller ones. Yeah. They're from Mordor. It's the, the 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 red eye of Sauron, and then you've got the Urukai, the bigger ones. They're the newer ones from Isengard that Saruman sent them. And the orcs want to like kill and torture the prisoners, and, and the Urukai have got their orders, so that causes a little bit of friction. Um, in the books, it, it goes into there's, there's basically a lot more like nuance over the factional differences. Like um, the orcs don't want to run during the day when they meet up because orcs hate being out under the sun, whereas Urukai can run under the sun. That's their whole thing that they're fine with it, um, and they're like faster and stronger. They remind me of um, I don't know why it might be the skin. They remind me of Zontaran, you know, the rhinoceros type. Is that from Doctor Who? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Why are you just laughing at me? No, it's because I, I, I didn't. I, I, we've been married. How long? We've been together. How long? And I've, I've never heard you made a Doctor Who reference. You have. When? We've made a lot of references. The mannequins, angels. Well, no, that's more like pop culture. Whereas Zontaran is that's quite Whovian, isn't it? Well, there was a point where I was a young 
A wee child for you Scottish listeners. A wee bairn. I watched. Do you Doctor feel? Do you feel bilingual now? Do you feel like you've just? I. You just cut about being. Do you think you're gonna go on fucking Duolingo? I. Dickhead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you made a Doctor Who reference. I never knew that about you. Who's I your used fa- to like um, Sarah Jane Adventures as well. Banging. Ah, okay. Yeah. Who's your favorite? Who's your favorite Doctor? Mine was Matt Smith. I stopped oh, watching see, it after that. See, I think I only watched David Tennant and Matt Smith. Was there someone in between? No, no. It was um, Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant, Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi, and I then think, that lady. I don't I know. I think that is. I started watching it when there was the well, there was like a. Well, I watched the guy before, David. Christopher Eccleston. Eccleston, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I watched a bit. It was when Billy Piper was on the scene. Oh, yeah. Like, it was massively marketed. Yeah, well, it came back in 2009, I think. No, maybe earlier. Yeah, so Rob was like, he was younger. And Mm. he had, like, all the figures. He probably still has, like, Cybermen. So they had, like, figures and everything back then. I I mean, they might... Do, but um, there was like a massive push, and they had like Sarah Jane Adventures. Yeah, and then like the Captain Jack Harkness, a torchwood and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Any uh, right. Anyway, um, that's its whole thing. I, I'm pleasantly surprised to find that out about you. Why do you think I'm married to you? Well, it's not there for must my. Must be some nerd element within me. Yeah, it was about forty-five minutes ago. <sighs> <laughs> Joke. Uh, right. <laughs> Right. So another thing I want to pick up is Mary is Mary, Mary's unconscious. Like he, he's looking pretty roughed up. Um, and Pippin the Div is saying like he needs help uh, and what have you. And this is a film only thing where they say uh, they give him like some grog and which looks like um, the drinkable marmite. It, do you know what I always think of it as? I always think of it as Cavonia. Yeah. Cough medicine with clout, not sponsored. But yeah, they give him that. But in the books, right? So the, the, I think that Urukai had done a disservice here. In the books, Mary's got a head wound, and they give him some ointment, which hurts like fuck, but heals him, and it leaves a scar. And they say, when he's like, ah, they're like, oh, he can't take his medicine. But then they give him some liquor, which actually does perk him up. Like, he's like, whoa, fucking go on. So I think that the Urukai had done dirty there. Like, they do actually heal him in the book, but their medicine, because they're twisted, tainted creatures, their ointments, their so everything they do. they're like Gollum. Kind of, except Gollum wasn't born like that. No, but in terms of, like, Gollum eats um, the elvish bread, and he can't, he doesn't eat, like, a normal, like, like a hobbit or whatever, because yeah, yeah. He'll, he, he eats raw meat. Like, he catches, he hunts his food, whereas, like, so it would be the same with them. Yeah, it's like twisted, twisted base creature. Like, you know, they they never really had a chance, essentially. It's like, so, it, and that's reflected in every facet of their society, um, which is un- unfortunate. But as they're going along, um, I think it is Pippin, you're right. Like, he bites off his brooch and spits it out to the side where it's trampled underfoot. And then when... Under one foot. Under one foot, yeah, sorry. Uh, Aragorn, uh, um, Gimli and Legolas have been pursuing them. And Gimli is such a vibe for me here. And you were saying the same thing. Where they're running along and he's saying, like, I'm a na- dwarves are natural sprinters. We're not made for long distance. We're very dangerous over short distances. Like, the amount of times I've said that in real life when I've been running. Like, I've been out on a run and I, I, I stop and I look at my time. And you know my time for running is terrible because I'm a big fat bastard. But I still run. Um, but every time I, I look at my time in my head, I'm like, I'm very dangerous over short distances. <laughs> Yeah, you were like, oh, this is me when I'm out running. And I'm like, I said, no, 
This is me when I'm going up a bank. <laughs> yeah, this is me. I'm not even running. Yeah, that's not even me running. That's just me climbing the stairs. <laughs> and I don't do well with long distances. <laughs> but um, yeah, so they're pursuing them, and eventually they they do find. I can't. Remember, I've I've got my notes, but I think I've got them out of order here. But even you knew the reference and started singing when Legolas stood on the ridge and said they're taking the hobbits to Isengard. To Isengard. To I- yeah, dude. Like even like even you knew that, and you'd not seen the films, like it, it, which is crazy, like how popular Lord but of the Rings even, is. Like you shall not pass. Yeah. Like, that reference, and it was Gandalf. Like, and well, you call your granddad, granddad Gandalf, Gandalf, and yeah. you've and I've never watched the film. Yeah, it's just it's Tolkien uh, and Peter Jackson together uh, of permeated like every level of, of I mean like culture I think. when you go to my grandparents' house there is a golem figure. Have you ever noticed it? No. Yeah. On their sideboard. Derek's? No. Oh John's. Yeah. Oh well, you know. They go to Disneyland well, they went to Disneyland on that there. Yeah, but he's even in- infiltrated like super old people. I'll be honest, um every time I'm at your grandparents I'm looking at the clock. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, I, that's, what, that's what the fuck I'm doing, yeah. Legolas is taking the hobbits to Isengard, to Isengard, to Isengard. And for some reason, when, when they find some hope that, that Merry and Pippin are still alive, I don't know why, but Aragorn saying, not idly do the leaves of Lorien fall, is one of the most memorable lines to me, and I have got no idea why. It, it lives rent-free in my head. And I've never found a way to use it. I, I, I won't ever use it in real life because I don't wear a brooch. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, <laughs> and, and it's definitely not a leaf of Lorien. Um, which would be awesome if anyone wanted to get me that as a Christmas gift, maybe. Um, a cloak, an elven, a real elven cloak <laughs> with a leaf of Lorien and clasp. If anyone wants to get me a present, just get me a few loaves of Le- lembas bread. <laughs> One bite is enough to sustain a man for a full day. How many did you have? Four. Four? <laughs> Four? That's insane. That's insane. But yeah, so then we see. Um, the communication at some point between Baradol and Orthanc as Saruman's updating Sauron on what's going on with the army. This bit I don't like. Uh, like It pisses me off that Saruman is such a heartless bastard. Uh, but it's also very similar to the scenes of the first film. You know, you see again that Saruman, uh, you see his mines, you see his foundries, you see the mate. He's getting ready for war and he's arming and he's sending, he's gathering allies, he's, he's digging Urukai out of the ground. Um, and it's very similar to the first film, with the exception that they say they're running out of wood. And he just turns around and looks at the forest of Fangorn and is like, well, burn yeah. it. Burn it. Um, which I've put, Saruman cutting down trees like an absolute twat um, is, is how I wrote my note there. I feel like you said that last week as well, though. Yeah, because I, I, I just... Because, I, <laughs> like... That exact... S- Saruman, Saruman is is the, the evils of industry, and I've, I've mentioned, I've talked about this before, is the evils of industry, right? Yeah. And that, especially given the current climate, I can only speak for the UK, speaking of the, the current climate of the UK, where we are paying the most electricity of any country in the world, but, like, we, we're charged the most for electricity, right? And it's in the news recently where energy companies like Shell are making massive profits while we're all being squeezed. It's very, very, very hard to not feel that way about industry at the moment. Like, those people who will sacrifice the world and everything in it for their goals. 
is yeah. it, it, I, 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 you were saying um, I think you said in the first episode or the second how things talking rights about are still kind of felt today we probably didn't say it as eloquently as actually we were both absolutely pissed in the first episode but it, it's right like you were talking about um, about people's time being valuable and stuff in the first episode right and and, and the point you made was that talking still resonates today um, so now I'm still irrationally angry I'm angrier now at Saruman than I've ever been any time I've read or watched it before because of what's happening in the world around us yeah and um yeah i don't want to get too political because what's the point we seem to live in a we live in a time where any political opinion has to be taken to the extreme and then all other opinions are discounted so uh but yeah um so saruman and the evils of industry is hitting hard on this rewatch and it's uh but he he says like burn the forest of fangorn which we'll come on to in a bit because the forest of fangorn again could be its own episode and the ends could be their own episode but we also see we that uh, we do see that he gets the allegiance of men, and you were like, "Who are they?" When they cut the, you know, like they cut their hands and that. Um, they are the Dunlendings, and they are the rare purchase to um, Rohan's Stephen Toast. Um, do you remember that Toast of London show? Yeah, yeah. rare bloody purchase. Um, so the Dunlendings are sworn enemies, essentially, of Rohan, and they are enemies of Rohan because Aeol the first king of Rohan and, and his tribe were invited to live in the region called Caladehorn or something like that, which is now Rohan. And they were invited there by Gondorians and the Dunlending. So they, the, the Aeol and his tribe were one. Um, they, they were invited down from the north of Rovanion, which is Mirkwood. They were invited down from the north to live down there and it became Rohan. The Dunlendings were pissed off that they weren't asked to do it. So they've hated Rohan pretty much for that and so now they'll fight with Saruman and we see that Saruman plays on that because you know this where he gives him a speech just where like before they all go off fighting he says that like um they like they drove you from their homes and they've got riches you don't have blah 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 and so you see that Saruman and it's much more explicit in the book Saruman's power and it literally is a magic power is his words he can start to speak to a group of people and really magically start to sway them or if if he wants to he can just Set a seed that will later blossom, um, and that is his power. Is is his words, and it is a it's a captivating spell to hear him speak. And in the books, he's confronted by like Theoden, Gandalf, Aragorn, etc. And it's still hard to shake off then when he's talking to them. And it's only with Gandalf's help um, later on that he's able to be like, "Shut the fuck up, like shut up, stop talking, snake." Yeah. We see. Uh, the next scene is Aoma, who is a great. He's a great actor. I think it's it's not called Billy Boyd. What's he called? I can't think of the actor's name, but he's in. Um, have you seen the boys advertised on Amazon Prime about? Yeah, like those superheroes. Like he plays. He plays the main guy in that, and he's amazing. I can't think of the actor's name, but uh, is it Kyle? No. Ooh. Let's see. What's he called? Uh, I'm just gonna have to look this up. Sorry, but he is. He's like he was well known at the time, but he's really shot. To um to Carl Urban, he's really shot to prominence now with the boys and stuff like that. Just like Eowyn, always well known, but now she's slightly recognisable as one of Sabrina's aunties in um the Chilling Tales of Sabrina or whatever. We watched one series and just gave it up. Actually, didn't know. <laughs> like, oh fuck this! It just got Netflix. It, it ne- exactly Netflix has it jumps the shark. Like you have a, some good episodes or a good season, and all of a sudden the quality just fucking tanks. It's yeah, crazy. It's so many shows season. does that. 
But yes, so we see Aelma discovers his cousin, Theodred, who has been attacked by the Orcs of Isengard, or, or the Urukai of Isengard. And Aelma returns him back to Meadowseld, which is the, the capital of Edoras in, in Rohan. Uh, sorry, Meadowseld, I think, I think, is Theoden's hall in Edoras, which is the capital of Rohan. And you've just glazed over. Um, yeah, I'm getting confused with all the different names. Aelma is an important character. Theodred is soon to be dead. Right. Spoilers. Okay. So he takes him home um, because Theodred is Theoden's son. So Theodred is essentially the Prince of Rohan and Theoden's only son. Yeah. We then meet... So there's going to be a succession crisis if he dies, maybe. Um, we meet Aeoma's sister, Eowyn, and then we meet Grima Wormtongue, the absolute bastard. But I did say to you, on previous rewatches... Um, so I do it like maybe once a year or so. Like I'll rewatch the films. I think last year actually I watched it with with Jono when he came here. Um, the thing is with Wormtongue, I've always hated him until I watched um, like the Chucky films for the first time, Child's Play films for the first time. So he's he's Brad Dorf, Dorf who is he's he's in loads of stuff, but he's the voice of Chucky most famously. Hmm. So now I'm just like. Oh, you absolute champion. Like, he's just great. So, <clears throat> Green Worm Tongue, I hate Brad Dorf, absolutely love. Um, but we see he's there and he's manipulating Theoden. As an aside, I think I've sent you the memes before, but um, Theoden has got the best way of speaking of any character in Lord of the Rings, I think. Joe, you know, I've sent you that meme where it's like how to sound more professional, act like Theoden <laughs> instead of, and it's like, um, instead of saying no, say, I will say no more on this. <laughs> and it's a, talk. Yeah, exactly. It's like, instead of saying things like, hiya, you say, I know your face and <laughs> stuff like that. Or instead of saying goodbye, say, I take my leave. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just uh, be an absolute baller like Theoden. Uh, but at the moment, he's a bit under the weather. He's, uh, he's a codgy old man, isn't he? So what what were your thoughts all about this? So this is the first time we're really introduced to Rohan. Well, I just thought, wow, he's going to pop his clogs, isn't he? Obviously, he was, he's, like, blind and he's, like, lost all his hair and he's weak and just like a vegetable, really. Hmm. Um, but then you see, eventually see him restored to his former self. But he's just one of those very typical kings, isn't he? Like a, a king that is for the best for his people. He, he is not. Yeah, but at this stage he's just an old man, old vegetable. Yeah, well, he, he certainly appears that way uh, because we find out he's actually... You know, is it? Under a spell. Yeah, but the important thing we find out here is that all is not well in Rohan. Aelma, after some arguing back and forth, is banished by Grima, who um, got Theoden to sign a banishment order that morning. Uh, Aelma also accuses Grima of wanting to uh, basically to hump Eowyn. Just by, he's just a bit of creepy little shit. <laughs> um, he, he is. He, he's got. Well, he's called Worm Tongue. So um, you know, he, he's a he's a creepy bastard. But Aoma is banished, and it's not specified in the. It's it's not really mentioned in the films. Or not big. No real big things mentioned about it. But Aoma then sets out and gather. He starts to gather his own army essentially, um, and that's what will come into play in the second half of the film. Uh, that, that, that we'll see, you know, next week. But Rohan, predictably, has got a, it's it's only five hundred years old, but it's got a stupidly rich history. Like it is awesome. So from Aeol all the way down to Theoden, I think it's maybe like nine kings so far. I'm not sure. There might be more. But their their history. But my favorite character of Rohan is someone I'd like to do an episode about called Helm Hammerhand, and so called because. He was he was a king of Rohan, and that's what Helm's Deep's called after, which you'll see in the next part. Helm's Deep is a fortress, but Helm Hammerhand was at a council once, and someone was talking shit to him the whole time. And so afterwards, he killed the man with a single punch. 
<laughs> I think that the constraint was like, I won't draw a sword against you. And he just punched him and killed him, killed him dead. Just one punch. Um, Helm Hammerhand, such a badass that there is a horn at Helm's Deep that you'll see in, in the next part. That there was a siege at Helm's Deep one winter. And Helm Hammerhand, when it was blizzarding, would wear all white clothes, blow the horn, and then sneak out by himself into the enemy camp and kill and, like, some, some people say cannibalised the enemy men. And so it would come to be that whenever that horn was blown... The enemy who were sieging him in the fortress would shit themselves until one day the horn blew and the next morning when the snow stopped, Helm Hammerhand was found amongst the enemy camp, frozen to death, stood up, but none would approach the body because they were so scared of him. <laughs> and that's why it's called Helm's Deep, uh, which is the fortress that we'll see that they, they are going to go to. Um, but I, I just wanted to bring that up because it's just amazing. We also we, we then see after these scenes that the, the hobbits and the baddies, the Urukais and the Orc, stop at the edge of Fangorn, which is old as the mountains in some cases. It, it's it's hard to put into words how ancient the forest is, but do you know we've got those in our like in California, I think, you've got those redwoods. Yeah. That are the oldest trees in the world. It's basically like a forest full of them. And it once used to form a forest that spanned pretty much the whole of Middle Earth. Uh, imagine a, a, a forest that spanned a con well, like the Amazon, uh, the Amazon rainforest, uh, a forest that spanned a continent. Unfortunately, it was much reduced in the Second Age when both Sauron and the Numenorians, who were going to fight against each other, deforested a hell of a lot of it. Uh, Mary mentions there's um, there's an old forest in Buckland, which isn't in the night. Like, just outside of the Shire or just inside the Shire. They used to be linked. Like, so that's how far... Like, they're right in the south now. They're, they're in, like, Rohan. Yeah. Right down in the south after they've been travelling for a month, maybe more. And then back in the Shire, it used to all be linked. But the Fangorn Forest is still hundreds of miles on each side. It is still massive, massive, massive. I've got a book called The Atlas of Middle-Earth, which I'll, I'll have to look at again. Uh, and I think that mentions some of the, the, the sizes, but the, the, basically what I'm trying to get at is this forest is fucking old. Really, really old. It's, it's hard to, to put on. But we see that when they stop with the Urukai. What what did you make of the scenes, you know, where they're, they're arguing over them? Um, say, like, some want to kill them, some don't. What were you thinking while we were watching that? Just how disgusting orcs are. Yeah. They're just filth. They're absolute utter filth. Yeah. At least the Urukai like, have standards. Um, yeah, I just... The um, orcs are very kind of... They feel like they're always bottom of the pile in kind of the pecking order of baddies. Like is almost like they're really dispensable, not very well respected. They're just kind of shit on your shoe. Yeah. And they live up to that as well because they're very much like, let's just eat them like we've transported them this far. Yeah. Um, so I'm in, I feel a bit peckish, so let's just eat them. Yeah, I, there's so many memes from this scene as well. It's like... We haven't had any meat in three stinking days. And, like, what's two little people with that whole group going to actually do? Mm. They are both skinny and very short. They're not going to have a lot of meat on them. They haven't been eating for days either. That's true, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's again, it's that, it goes back. It's, like, it's that base instinct, isn't it? Like, they want meat. They want food. Like Very um, weak. Well, yeah, it's just... It's just again, I can't think of a, a word for it, a, a better word for it. It's just it's base, it's base, it's the 
base that behaviour. There is a, eventually it results in an altercation where they do get their meat. They do. <laughs> um, they do. The Urukai chops one of the orcs' heads off because the uh, the Urukai are under order. Saruman back on the menu, boys. Um, the Urukai are instructed by Saruman. So this is where it comes into play about the orders conflicting. Saruman doesn't want Sauron to know that he knows that a hobbit has the ring. So the Urukai have been told, deliver the hobbits to me unspoiled so that there's no chance for any of the orcs or the Urukai to discover the ring. Because if an orc gets the ring, it will go straight to the Nazgul or straight to Sauron. And Saruman will miss out. He won't have the ring. And that's yeah, what Saruman wants, his... is to gain power. Yeah, and that's it... his, like, bargaining tool. Oh, well, almost. But you know that, like, Gandalf said, like, the these people don't share power. But yeah, um, so eventually, like like you say, there's um, there's that altercation. It's like, meet back on the menu, boys. And someone pointed out online, Urukai and Orc society must be more, more advanced than we think because they know what a menu is. <laughs> so someone had said, like, does that mean there's, like, Orc and Urukai restaurants and things like our taverns and, and stuff like that? Whilst uh, that scuffle's going on, Aoma and his boys are out and about and they could well I say boys uh, during the filming not enough men owned horses so a lot of the Rohirrim which is the, the plural for Rohan the Rohirrim that you see a lot of them are women um, because they're horse owners um, and Aoma and his quote boys well boys spelled B-O-I Aoma and his bussy um, are out and about and they come and fuck up the orcs and the Urukai and there's a there's a protracted fight where Merry and Pippin try to escape but they are Cornered by an orc once who says, like, scream and, like, you know, I'll, I'll poke here or whatever. Um, I've got here that Merry and Pippin nearly die so many times, the poor lads. Because they, they eventually they make it into the forest, we see, and uh, they're rescued by Treebeard. But, orcs, but it ends orcs. with a shot of horses who's above yes it the did. yeah yeah we don't find that out a little bit um I, i've got it the next will they be squashed yeah because the next the next sorry, scene sorry chris it, has just already fucked that up <laughs> uh i don't think anybody's watching uh, listening to this who hasn't seen the film who and, knows well the idea is you, you know you watch the film you might want to know a little bit more so uh, i'll sprinkle things in here and there um the, the thing i always hate about this next bit it's that Legolas runs and turns around and then just says, like, a red moon rises, blood has been spilled this night. Like, it's just weird as fuck. I, I, don't, I don't know why. I don't like that. It's just... It's got no... Um... You're going to be right, like, all the time. Yeah. But you're also going to be right if you turn on any day and say blood has been spilled this night. Shit's always happening. Um, but Aragas, uh, Arag- Aragorn, Limley and Legolas eventually meet Aomer and the lads. And there's a little scuffle. Everyone's a bit testy. Um, Aomer asks for his name. Gimli says, give me my, give me yours, horse master, and I'll give you mine. Aomer says, uh, I'd cut off your head if it's still a little bit further from the ground. Legolas is like... Very sizest. Not my friend. As Legolas, yeah, well, Legolas says you'll die before your stroke fell. Everyone's getting a little bit heated until Aragorn steps in, calms it down. They eventually, they get given a horse from some of the Rohirrim. Two horses. Two, yeah, from two Rohirrim who fell during the battle. In the books, Aragorn swears that he'll return the horses to Edoras, um, which is what will bring them to Edoras in the books as well. It's a promise he makes to Aoma, um, but here it's just kind of like, here, have a horse. And I can't let it go by without saying, and I've said it to you every time uh, you've ever seen this scene, but they find the Hobbit's belts, and then they find the, the, the well, it's in the pile of corpses, and Aragorn kicks the helmet. And did you know that Vegan Mortensen actually broke his toe in that scene? 
I have heard that more than I've actually seen that scene. <laughs> well, I think it's the most uh, known Lord of the Rings fact ever. No, I'm just talking about from you. Oh, right. Yeah, well, yeah, that makes sense. So Aragorn uses his uh, ranger superpowers to, to track the hobbits into the forest where all hope is lost. And he's like, oh, wait, a hobbit crawled here. And then uses some like magic, well, it's not magic, it's just good, really, really good tracking skills. So I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but Aragorn, well, we mentioned it earlier this episode, but we really should have mentioned it in last episode or the one before that. Aragorn is the leader of the Dúnedain, as well as being the heir to the throne of Gondor. Uh, the Dúnedain are the northern rangers. They're the people who kind of like protect like the Shire and stuff. Yeah. Without anybody knowing that they're there. Um, they're, they're pretty badass to be honest like they're rangers um and i think i mentioned that i'm pretty sure that the concept of the ranger as a class for like tabletop rpgs like D and stuff came from lord of the rings and i think i've already mentioned that in other episodes but it does bear repeating but yeah the dunadine are they're, well they're, they're a tribe of, of men uh fangorn uh when aragorn gimli and legolas get into it Gimli is terrified of it, uh, and Legolas is in awe because he's around. Legolas is about two thousand years old, and he's around things that have existed since first age, before the first age, like basically maybe the creation of the world. Yeah. So uh, a long, long, long time. Uh, in the books, they agree that they would return here as friends, Gimli and Legolas, which they do. Um, they also visit the glittering caves, which we'll we'll come to next week. Um, we then cut back to well, it, it, I'm telling this out of sequence, but I'm, I'm tracking because it, it's very hard at this point because we're tracking so many different threads, and it's going to get more difficult as time goes on because it, it's three different stories. Yeah. You've got Merry and Pippin, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, Frodo and Sam, and Gollum, and, and Gollum. Uh, we're not there. Yet. Well, we are there yet, actually. Um, yeah, exactly. So the, there's there's threads to follow. Um, but Merry and Pippin are saved from an orc who's about to kill them by Fangorn, Treebeard. So Treebeard is is what he's colloquially called, and it's like a nickname for him. But his name is Fangorn. So Fangorn Forest is him. He's an Ent, and Fangorn Forest is named after him. That's how old he is. Um, and Ents are shepherds of the trees. Now, this is the bit that I alluded to uh, yesterday when me and you were driving somewhere. Uh, or maybe it was this morning. But Ents are a funny creature. They were requested to be created by the Valar y- Yavanna, who is the Valar of all growing things and, and like Earth and, and, and stuff like that. She's kind of almost like a Gaia, like a Mother Earth type creature, uh, figure, sorry. And she requested that the trees be protected from dwarfs or and other creatures from like chopping them down unnecessarily. Um, and so she, she did that. And I'm pretty sure that... I th- I think it's Gander or Radagast. I think it's Radagast serves Yavanna as a Maya. Um, but anyway, she requests that Ents are created by Eruil Luvatar in order to protect trees from being chopped down by dwarves, right? Cool, fair enough. Except her fucking husband is Aule, the creator of the dwarves. So like, I've just wrote here, that is the most passive-aggressive marriage shit ever. Just... Um, yeah, like not talking to your husband and say, "Hey, can you stop and chopping down trees?" Just more like, "Oh, well, he's 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 creating dwarves. I'm yeah, gonna like it's, have someone else completely different." It's your child. Yeah, what was it you said? Like you said, "Oh, well, I can understand why she did that." Was it was it something you said like, "I can understand why you why she do that because if I could have someone created that would stop your child from slamming all the toilet seat lids, I would," or something like that. Yeah, like if if I could have. 
some sort of person that I could hire and I could afford someone just to go and shut all the toilet seats around the house behind you going to the toilet. Oh, so, so that your child wouldn't put things into the toilet. <laughs> yeah. Our child does like to throw things into the toilet. But you always leave the toilet seat up, so then I'm like laid on the bed trying to have a chill while she's playing, and then all of a sudden she goes dart into the bathroom, and I look thinking, nah, the toilet seat will be down. And you've used the toilet and left the toilet seat up, so I have to sprint across the room to shut it before she flushes... A chick down there, like a plastic chick or one of her rubber ducks. She likes putting everything in the toilet. Yeah, I think she's threw a whole toilet roll in there before. Yeah, she has. Quite a few times, actually. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's the, that's the, that's a perspective of a mother onto having... Um, <laughs> having, having, your, having to look after a child have, and a husband. Yeah. Oh, all right, okay. Harsh. But, yeah, so I, I thought that was very uh, bad behaviour from Yovana, but... Here we are. There's another perspective on that one. Yeah, the, I wanted to say that Morgoth's answer to the Ents is the trolls, which I mentioned uh, again. I have mentioned it in a past episode, but it's that again. Is that evil can't create life; it can only twist and corrupt. And Morgoth couldn't create something like an Ent, where it was uh, like a pure creature given life. So he had to make an equivalent, which was twisted, and a troll is the equivalent of an elf. Uh, an end, sorry, so 14 foot tall, tough as folk, blah, blah, blah. Um, the hobbits are thrown before the feet of a white wizard by Fangorn, or by Treebeard. Uh, and then we're pulled back to Frodo, Sam and Gollum in the Dead Marshes again, where we see that Gollum is eating a nice, juicy, lovely worm and absolutely hates Lembas bread. Um, and I've, I've put here that most products of the elves, by some osmosis, have their grace or touch attached meaning most evil things can't stand them, uh, as I mentioned earlier. So Gollum is, is twisted and evil by his long exposure to the ring, so everything fair hurts him. It's uh, He mentions, I can't remember where, but somewhere in the book he mentions that he hates the yellow face. So that's why he went into the Misty Mountains, because he couldn't stand the sun on him anymore. Yeah. Much like orcs can't stand the feel of sun on them anymore. Um, so it, it, you know it's something similar. Um, Frodo has his exposure where he, he, it, he goes. We've already covered this, but he goes into the marsh. But we also see that he's becoming more obsessed with the ring, um, like sleeping with it in his hand or laying just staring at it and stroking it. And when um, Gollum during the night is it during the night or there's there's some point where Gollum says, "My precious." Yeah, and Frodo's, Frodo's like, like, "What was that?" Because yeah. it's clearly the same words going through Frodo's mind. Because if um, when um, Bilbo had the ring, he yeah. said exactly the same. So it's obviously a common thread. And that when Gandalf was in, refer to it as he, that. Yeah, and when Gandalf was in Minas Tirith, Minas Tirith, looking through the archives, he saw that a sealed door had written, "It is precious to me." Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it, it, it's all it's all the same stuff. Um, we also hear in the Dead Marshes that the Nazgul have returned. You can hear their screech, and it's not something we've mentioned before, but their screech has an actual power. It, it spreads fear and dread. It will break most people's courage. Like the Nazgul, one of their powers is the ability to utterly demoralize their enemies. Um, so like, if if me or you was to face a Nazgul, we'd probably like literally void our bowels. And either curl up into a ball or run away screaming, um, and that is one of the powers that that they have. And we, we can see where that. do I sign up? <laughs> yeah, um, we can see that they're back, but now they're flying. They're they're on their fell beasts. Um, they're probably uh, no. I 
this is my speculation, but I think Sauron, not Morgoth, because they, they, it was it's too late for Morgoth, because the Nine Rings were created in the Second Age. But I think the Fell Beasts were created as steeds for the Nazgul as an answer to the Grey Eagles. But so the opposite, the twist and again, okay, it's that twist, and you can't create. So the eagle, the, the giant eagles. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the giant eagle eagles are a sentient. They're sentient. They're not just animals. They are incredibly intelligent, like on the level of elves. They're ancient. They're noble creatures. And they are the, the chief servants of Manwe, the king of the Valar. Um, so they're his eyes and ears in Middle-earth. Um, and I think Sauron created the fell beast as an answer to the eagles. But that's, again, it's, it's just my speculation. But we do know that he bred them, probably at some time during the second or third age. And the Nazgul used them to, to ride them, um, to, to give, you know, they're airborne now. We see that Sam, Frodo and Gollum are much closer to Mordor, so the Nazgul's, it's, it's the Nazgul's turf. Back in the forest, we discover that Gimli, is, is got, again, his axe, the trees really do not like it. And the thing I wanted to point out is, I'm not sure it's apparent from the films, but did you get the sense the trees were alive? Yeah, because they were talking to each other. Yeah, they do. They're like they're groaning and creaking and stuff. But it's important to distinct to make the distinction. They're not ants. Yeah, because well, it's clear when um, when Pippin is well, when they're waking up and well, what's the other one called? Mary. 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 When Mary's waking up and he finds Pippin drinking from the fountain, and then they get there's that scene where the tree kind of envelops them yeah so yeah um and the end comes along and he's like uh no go back to sleep sleep. yeah yeah drink Um, and then he explains that like they're really annoyed the Mm. trees and they're getting frustrated and yeah they're like angry beings because of the amount of destruction that's going on and yeah, they're, they're waking up, but uh, they're, they're, so the, these trees are called huons, uh, and they are because uh, they can't just be called trees. No, they're like, no, they're, they're a type of tree called a huon, um, and they move. They can move. They're an army essentially of trees, and they're what the they're what the the ants heard. Yeah, they they heard them. Uh, we see with Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas that they meet a white wizard who they think is Saruman, and Aragorn says, "Do not let him speak." Because Aragorn is well aware of the power of Saruman for, for weaving spells with his words. Um, as they turn to attack the White Wizard, he casts Heat Metal on Aragorn, um, who drops his sword. Legolas... Where am I, I think Legolas, his arrow just gets like deflected, and uh, I'm not sure what happens to uh, to Gimli's axe. But it's not Saruman, it's it's Gandalf. But he's, uh, he's back and he, he's whiter than white. He's been changed and he's reincarnated because he still has a job to do. And I've got in my notes here, you said when we were watching it, I said, oh, he's been reincarnated. And you, what did you say? Um, I said, is that because his work isn't done yet? And he's um, he's almost like that um, that warrior um, who was sent back because... Yeah, there was that warrior you talked about. Glorfindel? Yeah. He was sent back because his work, he was such a... Like a great warrior. So while there is... Uh, a, he was sent back in his own form as well. Yeah, so while there is a distinction, um, but I did just want to point out that I've, I've probably never been more in love with you than when you said that. <laughs> um, like, don't get me wrong, the birth of our child was nice. Um, <laughs> no, it wasn't a patch. <laughs> no, it was, no uh, that was the happiest day of my life. But um, apart from getting married. But that was when I thought, my God, she's my soulmate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Glorfindel was sent back from the halls of Mandos and allowed to reincarnate in the Middle Earth. Gandalf 
or Alorin, was sent back by Eru Iluvatar himself to Middle Earth and reincarnated. He skipped all the skipped all Valinor and all that shit. He was straight back to Middle Earth. You've got a job to do. Here's a promotion. So Gandalf has come back as Gandalf the White, and he says, "I am Gandalf, or I am Saruman." as he should have been, because Saruman, you, you remember the five wizards were sent to Middle-earth, two blue, Radagast the brown, Saruman the white, Gandalf the grey. The two blue, maybe they failed, maybe they didn't, and that's why there's not more Easterlings coming. They're out of the story. Radagast fails. He's only bothered about the creatures. He's failed in his task. Saruman has failed in his task because he's corrupted and now he wants the power himself. Gandalf's the only one who's sticking true to the mission. So in terms of um, hierarchy, is Gandalf the bottom of the pile? No, he's now he's the top. He's being promoted now. I'm just he was curious second, as to the colours. The colours, I think, were chosen by themselves. They garbed themselves in those colours. But Saruman was, was appointed head of the order, so he's Saruman the White. Um, but now Gandalf so it, it became a symbol for the people of Middle Earth yeah that Saruman the White was the leader of the wise Gandalf now is the leader of the wise and, and that's why he's been sent back and we'll see later that Gandalf now has actual power over Saruman um, but we'll, we'll come to that one okay. day but Gandalf explains his death um, so he said like you know, we fought from the bottom of the mountain to the top where I smote him up on the, the mountainside. Started uh, from the bottom, now we're yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is where, they, in the book, they talk about the fort of the Endless Stair, which Gimli thought was lost, but it wasn't. And, and Gandalf did die, um, and he says, I strayed out of all thought and time, uh, and every second was like a life age on the earth. Some it was pe- almost like one of the, like the scene with Voldemort and oh, Harry right, with, yeah, the, with the clouds. Yeah. It was kind of like that, wasn't it? What clouds? They were like whooshing, he was like whooshing through uh, the universe and the stars. What film's that in? Right, you know, so, the final Harry Potter film. Mm-hmm. When, no, it's not the final Harry Potter film. It's a film where there's the little baby Voldemort. Oh, that's in platform, well, that's in King's Cross Station, yeah. right? But so when Voldemort died. I'm getting confused. No, it's a bit where it's like, <laughs> and like, it's just Voldemort's head. And he's got the clouds behind him. Oh, that's in the fifth film. And it's yeah, like yeah. whooshing about. It kind of reminded me of that sort of the whooshing effect. Right, okay, so yeah, the visual. Because he's yeah. like whooshing through the universe, right. isn't he? Yeah, well, anyway, let's ignore that. Tangent. Tripe. Um, Try. <laughs> don't bring up Harry Potter in a Lord of the Rings conversation and compare it like that. But yeah, so he strays out of all thought and time. Now, a lot of people interpret this that Gandalf was taken outside the circles of the world, he was taken outside of Arda to the timeless halls where Eru Iluvatar is and was there sent back to do to, to finish his job. And, and he says that like, he's Saruman as I should be and he stopped being Gandalf for a time and I think that means he was in the Maya for a, a brief bit. Well, in the books it's mentioned that he's, he's sent back to his body and um, when he's sent back to his body he's picked up by one of the great eagles at the top of the mountain who then take him to Lothlorien where Galadriel clothes him in white. Um, so it's Galadriel who gives him his new clothes and then he sets out and meets them all at that Fangorn That's it. They, they then have to make all haste to Rohan which uh, is where they meet Shadowfax Shadowfax is um, I think one of the cooler kind of like lore things like um, so you've spent time around horses like you, you ride horses like did it do anything special for you when you saw him running up like just I was just like that's a really pretty horse. Um, clearly ethereal, because anyone who has a white horse, 
knows that that horse stays that white <laughs> for literally five seconds. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, uh, yeah, he is kind of ethereal, but <clears throat> horse royalty, uh, horse demigod, like uh, Shadowfax is the chief of the Mearas or Meras, who are pretty much the Ferrari of horses, which is also a horse. Um, but the thing about the Meara, the Meras, is that they'd only bear kings and great figures. So you have to be someone special to even like ride Shadowfax um, and, and his his kin. Um, they're all descend like the Mayor the Mayras are descended from a horse called Nahar, and Nahar is the horse ridden by the Valar Arome, who is the huntsman of the Valar. And Arome has the honor of being the first Valar to meet the elves. Well, debatably. He might be the first Valar to meet the elves because arguably Morgoth met them first when they awoke. So the elves first awoke in Middle Earth in the Far East, and they all travelled to Valar, uh, to Valinor. Sorry. So they awoke right in the Far e- uh, in the Far East at a place called Quivianen, Quivianen, Quivianen. Um, and there was three hundred elves, all uh, I think, who who walk first, but they walk like a little bit staggered. Um, and they eventually made their way to Valinor, a lot of them. Some of them didn't, and they, um, elves who've never been to Valinor, never saw the light of the trees, uh, sometimes referred to as dark elves, um, just because they've never saw the light of the two trees of Valinor, which lit up the whole world before the sun and the moon, which I think I've mentioned before. But yeah, so they, they start their journey, Gandalf goes on Shadowfax, and Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli go on the two horses, Legolas and Gimli are on one horse, as uh, as they're becoming quite close friends, Treebeard, uh, we then see he's singing, um, and he, he's saying like, "Come back to me, come back to me." Um, Treebeard, I think at this point is actually singing. He talks about it later on, but he's singing about the Entwives who've been gone for a long time, and it's one of the more it is in a world of heartbreaking stories. This is one of the the more heartbreaking. Um, the Entwives, the Entwives wanted to to leave uh, and they they were concerned with crops and things that grow whereas the ent were shepherds of the trees and that's what they wanted to do was everything in the forests so the ent wives left and by the time the ents noticed because everything ents do is over such a long period of time by the times the ents noticed they'd lost them and it's now at the point where they can't remember what they looked like Um, (laughs) under under underappreciated really Maybe, but it, it's a really sad tale, um, to, to be honest. Well, um, I think they deserve it, really, if they didn't even notice. Well, I've seen theories that the Entwives made it further west and north, like towards places like the Shire and Eriador and stuff like that, and they taught men how to, to grow crops and stuff. But then the, there's theories that Sauron killed them. But, but if you if you listen to what you said originally... That's like me filling up all the toilet rolls in this house and going off on my jollies. And you only realising I was gone because you finished the last toilet roll <laughs> and you can't, you don't know where the toilet rolls are kept. Right, well, you've just took a, a heartbreaking story and made it. And I just think, well, actually, if you don't know where the toilet rolls are kept and you've not appreciated all the time the toilet rolls being filled up, then you deserve to get shit on your hand. The existence of the human race doesn't hinge on me finding bog <laughs> uh, And that's the thing with the Entwives, is there'll be no more Entings, so that the Ents are, are doomed to, to fade 
Um, Should have appreciated the wives more. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, unfortunately. But yeah, it's, too yeah, late it's, now. It's, it's a sad, sad tale, regardless of what you say. You horrible Wouldn't person. you think, though, you'd be able to like, chop off an arm or something and just plant it? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe, but we don't know how ants reproduce because they've lost the ant wives. So, who knows? Um, but then we're back where Gandalf, Aragorn, Gimli, Legolas... Is Gandalf starts laying plans because the war's coming. And up until this point, so Gandalf's been in Middle-earth for about 2,000 years now as Gandalf. Uh, before that, he was in Valinor as a Lorin. And when he was sent to Middle-earth, they were sent with, don't directly intervene, inspire people to fight against Sauron, inspire them. Because the Valar and the Maya don't want to get involved in the fight because last time there was a direct confrontation between powers of that magnitude. Beleriand sank and Arda was changed forever. Basically, like, the, the scale of power will really fuck things up. But now he's been sent back, he's he's had his power unhinged a little bit, uh, un- unleashed a little bit, and he can afford to act more directly. So now he's starting to lay plans about who they need to get, and Rohan and, and Gondor are two main parts to this. He also finds out that Frodo's not alone, and Sam went with him, which he's pleasantly surprised, which he should be, because uh, I think as... as you'll see at the end of this um it's my opinion that's and a lot of opinion people's opinions is that sam is the true hero of the story and that's not just being cute about sean astin but more like when you look at it as a whole sam is is like pretty much the true hero of the whole thing but yeah uh sam and frodo we then see get to the black gate no idea why they they're out of desperation they don't know what to do um some easterlings i think it's easterlings uh yeah easterlings are coming to the black gate and the gate opens for them and I have no idea what they were thinking but they decided to just fucking Leroy Jenkins it and just like <laughs> run they're, they're gonna go for it they're gonna run to the gate but they get caught in the screen in the stones uh, and, and Sam gets buried a little bit so Frodo goes after him and, and they're able to hide using the cloak of Lothlorien mm. and an Easterling comes very close but the, the cloak just looks exactly like a rock um, so he doesn't see it uh, and, and he goes and what we don't see here and it's just an aside uh, what we don't see in the films is that later on during the War of the Ring like when things properly properly kick off there's um, do you, so do you know in The Hobbit there's um, the town of Dale at the foot of the Lonely Mountain yeah um, and that's where they are, the, the humans move back to after because they live in is it River Town or Lake Town yeah um, so and then when when Smaug is killed they move back into Dale and they rebuild. Um, now, there is wars going on up there during the War of the Ring. It's never seen in these films, but there are wars going on there. And there is a big force of Easterlings that attack Dale during the War of the Ring. And the grandson of Bard the Bowman is king at the time, King Brand. He dies, and so does Dane Ironfoot, who is the king of the dwarfs. He's the one who leads the dwarfs in the Hobbit films. You know, when you see him on his, like, goat... Is he on his goat? But when all the dwarfs turn up and Dane Ironfoot's there... Oh, yeah. So he dies as well in that. But eventually they are victorious. Um, but it's just worth mentioning that. You only see, like, in the films, you see the Easterlings there. They they play a much bigger part elsewhere. Uh, and, and The Lonely Mountain is, is their theatre of war as well. Gollum is just a bit aghast at what they're trying to do because he just said, like, I take you to the gate. Doesn't say anything else because when Sam says, like, because Gollum says there's another way, and then Sam's like, "Why didn't you sell us earlier?" And he's like, "Well, you only you said take, ask, yeah, yeah, you didn't ask. You just said take me to the gate." Uh, we'll later find out that the place that Gollum's leading them to is Kirithungol, which is a pass in the mountains, and it's guarded by uh, a fucker called Shelob, who is a descendant of Ungoliant. 
And I mentioned Ungoliant uh, previously because it's one of my favourite characters of the Legendarium. It's, you know, the giant demonic spider. Oh, yeah. Um, and this giant demonic spider has uh, makes her home in Middle-earth eventually in the north of Beleriand at the, the mountains of Ered Gorgoroth or the mountains of Terror where she mates with other giant spider-like creatures and their descendants become the giant spiders of Middle-earth. Um, so she loves one of them. And Shelob's descendants become things like, you know, the, the spiders of Mirkwood in The Hobbit. Mm. Um, so it's things like that. So spiders pretty much in Middle-earth are almost always evil. And the dogs want these ball thrown. No chance. <laughs> in Fangorn Forest, we see that Merry and Pippin... Uh, well, who is it? Who is it first? Is it Merry who discovers the water first and is drinking it and growing taller? Or is it Pippin? No, it's Pippin. Is it Pippin? The mm-hmm. div. Um, but yeah, both hobbits drink the Entwash. Would you drink Entwash? So let's say every drink you had, you'd grow an inch. Would you drink it? Um, No, because I think I'm tall enough. Yeah, I wouldn't. Like, And I- like my whole world is um, built around people of like like my height, average height. Mm. So much taller than that I wouldn't fit in my world anymore well, and there's yeah. not a world built for me so yeah, they, they do become the tallest like pretty much the tallest hobbits and as a woman it's not the best value to have as a woman what, being to tall? be very tall yeah but you could become like a, an Amazonian or a dummy mommy <laughs> a big, nah. you could become a big titty goth girlfriend nah I, I, I for would... men I think it's like it's especially when you're younger it's like yeah. Oh, it's it's acceptable for a man to be really tall, but a girl to be really tall. Uh, I, I you don't, then have I, to find someone who's as equally as tall as you or taller. Well, I think that's still a path that's being forged at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be bothered about it because I'm not, I'm not insecure about my height whatsoever. So I think I'm. Yeah, fine. but not everyone's like you. Yeah. What? Well, what am I? I'm like five eleven. Six foot We're the like. same height, but I look taller because I've got longer legs. Yeah. Whereas true. you've got a longer yeah. torso. Yeah, I've got a short centre of gravity. So what gives me security is knowing that no matter how tall someone is, I could just take them down. And then everyone's yeah. the same size on the ground, I'll just knock them out. <laughs> I'll headbutt you in the nuts if you're tall enough. <laughs> but no, I, I wouldn't drink the Entwash. You wouldn't drink the Entwash. And Fair the fact least. it's called Entwash, do they wash with it? Well, I mean, it's still just trees. So, I mean, I'd drink water. Like, ant wash sounds like mouthwash. <laughs> oh. So I'm drinking ant spit. I, I don't know. Apparently it's got an earthy taste. But, I mean, I suppose if I'd been trekking for a long time, like, mm. it would be... Um, it looks very thirst-quenching. It does, actually, yeah. Yeah. Like, um... You just... know, like, uh, when it's a boiling hot day on holiday mm. and all you want is a really icy cold pint... Yeah, no, fair news. Even though it's not actually hydrating, but mm. yeah, their morning's messed up because they're grabbed by Huon, which we we came over, uh, we met, went over earlier. Who was going to kill them until Treebeard gives it a, a bit of a, a telling off, tells it to go back to sleep. It goes over again here about them losing the entwires, which we've already covered, and I've just got. There might have been the ones to show men how to grow crops, but we'll see. Uh, the next thing we see is Med- Edoras and Meadowseld, which are absolutely beautiful places. Of all the places in Middle-earth, apart from the Shire, I think I'd like to live in Rohan, especially in Edoras. We see the hall uh, of Meadowseld, and Theoden is so deep in being controlled by Saruman that he doesn't really react to being told that his son, Theodred, has died from his wounds during the night. No, there's a bit of a bone I've got to pick here. Is that like Gandalf and the other three arrive at the doors of Theoden Top? 
because Eowyn runs out and she, like she like after seeing that Theoden doesn't react, Eowyn goes outside and sees that they're approaching. The three, sorry, the four Gandalf, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli arrive at Meadowseld and are told to surrender the weapons. Gandalf manages to get past it by saying, "You wouldn't part an old man from your staff, the crafty little bitch." Um, but Aragorn... That is like typical my granddad. Yeah, that is exactly well. like how your grand. That's exactly how Derek had behaved. But in the books, right, Aragorn is carrying the shards of Narsil. I think it's reforged at this point, actually. So Aragorn is carrying Andural at this point. And he has a bit of a tizzy in the books and threatens Hammer, the guard, and says that anyone who draws Narsil except him will die. Uh, it, uh, and like, I've got you, yeah, it's a bit of a respect thing that, like, he has to give up a wet. Like he thinks it's uncouth of Theoden to order that Aragorn, who is a king of Gondor, is you know by rightful, uh, like he's a rightful heir of Gondor, is being asked to give up his weapon, like which is basically like his mark of office. So I can understand with uh, with book Aragorn, but film Aragorn is just like all right, sound. But it's because it's a big, it's a plot point that he doesn't get Narsil until uh, Anduril until uh, the next film. But I just thought I'd point out it's a bit of a big difference there. Um, when they go in, Grima... Uh, well, what did what did you think of this whole like next bit of um, when Gandalf raises the enchantment and um, Theoden comes back and Grima gets kicked out? Like, what were your thoughts? Um, it was just very much... It just... It was... I don't, I don't really know. I don't have a lot to say about it, to be honest, because... He just kind of he gets what he deserves. Well, mm. he he doesn't get what he deserves because I would have killed him. But yeah, I, I would I've got that as well. Like, I would have killed him. Like, um, just like Ar- he's just like a little bitch, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. It's just when Aragorn's like enough blood has been spilled. But um, at the beginning of this scene, one of my favourite things in this film is when Grima's talking loads of shit to Gandalf and he's just like, I have not passed through fire and death to bandy words with a witless worm. It's just, I want to use that on a Teams meeting. <laughs> like, I would love to use that at work. Like, I, I yeah, I, I, yeah, I've not passed through fire and death to bandy words with a witless worm to a project manager. <laughs> just be like, just fucking end the call. <laughs> Oh, it'd be beautiful. Um, but basically, Theoden is released from his spell while Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas kick fuck out of a room full of guards, which is great. They don't have the weapons, so it's just a it's just a beatdown. Like, um, but Saruman at this point, when he uh, Saruman, I think this might be the first inkling that the Valar that Saruman has that the Valar know that he's been naughty and are not pleased with his actions. Because if Gandalf is now the white and head of the order, that means that something has to have changed, like, cosmically. In the books, uh, when Saruman and Gandalf later talk at Orthanc, Saruman has this confirmed because he can't really resist Gandalf's orders. Like, he goes to walk away and Gandalf tells him to come back and he can't resist the compulsion. So he has to do what he says, which... I wonder if that's an added power from Eru or not, because I know Saruman... Well, actually, no, it does fit in with Saruman's Saruman magic. Saruman stopped. Gandalf from like leaving that room. Well, yeah, he might, yeah, he might have used these words there as well. But yeah, it's it's interesting. But Theoden is back to himself uh, and goes to kill Wormtongue, but Aragorn convinced him to show mercy, which we wouldn't have. I'd simply have killed him just for spitting on my hand. Yeah, like spitting is the oh yeah, you fucking dick. Rats don't even spit. Yeah, well, true, but llamas do. There's a fa- mosquitoes spit. Do they? Mosquitoes? Yeah. Through the 
Proboscis. Proboscis. That's how you get like mingling of other bloods within your blood. Oh, really? That's how you, yeah. I thought they just That's sucked. how we spread disease. <gasps> oh, goodness me. I needed more of a reason to not like mosquitoes. I'm sure that's what they do. Oh. But Grima, um, so. At least fly spit, okay. Th- this is one of those instances where I think it would have been more merciful to actually kill Wormtongue. Because he, from here on out, he does not have a good time of it. Good. He, he becomes Saruman's bitch when he flees back to Orthanc, but then in the books it gets even worse. He is pretty much forced to eat a hobbit, and he really doesn't want to do it, um, which is pretty fucked up. But in the books he ends up killing Saruman, which is nice. And then I think he gets shot by a hobbit. But yeah, Greenwood basically doesn't have a good time of it. Theodred. Theoden's son is then buried in the second line of kings. Now, the way that King, the line of kings works in Rohan is, at this point, it's the second line of kings in that you have direct succession, so father to son, until that line breaks, then a new line starts, and we'll see at some point in the near future, spoilers, that a third line of kings will be due. Uh, because if it's not father to son, pretty much like a direct familial connection, you start a new line. Yeah. So I think it goes like Aeol to, I don't know, Aeol to someone, and then the second line starts and ends with Theoden. Uh, it ends with Theoden. So uh, Theodred is of that second line. The burial lines, the, the main road goes through the burial mounds in Erdoras, which is really lovely. And there's a, a flower, a particular flower called Sembeline, which grows and shows, did you, did you remember yeah, saying white that? White White flower, yeah. And it grows most thickly on the grave of Hel- on the grave of Helm Hammerhand, which uh, I thought was a good little tidbit of information. So when you're watching it, the the one that's got the, the the one thickest on it is the grave of Helm Hammerhand. If the I think he's the first line of kings. I'm not sure. But anyway, Theoden, Gandalf, and the rest find out that Saruman has been attacking part of Rohan um, while Theoden has been under the spell and not knowing what's going on. But the Westfold is falling, which is part of Rohan. Uh, Theoden doesn't want to fight that and orders instead an evacuation at Helm's Deep, which is a stronghold that can shelter all of Rohan in times of need. So where's uh, that based? Uh, that is based in a it's in a valley, and, and behind it in the mountains are what's called the Glittering Caves, which is one of the locations that, after all of this is said and done, the War of the Ring, Gimli settles and find, founds a dwarf colony there. Ah. Um, so a bit of... Spoiler alert, but he visits there with Legolas because Gimli just falls absolutely in love with it. Um, Gandalf then leaves everyone and he sets out to find allies. Uh, he mentions that he's going to find Aelmer and his 2,000 men that he's gathering. Because as I mentioned, John, Aelmer gets get, gets like, gets like going. He goes to, to find allies. Aragorn, do you remember the, the horse then kicking off uh, in the stable? And Aragorn oh, yeah, and it calms it. it. He so, calms it in yeah, Elvish. And, and they say, like, oh, its name's Brego. Yeah. Peter Jackson borrowed that from Tolkien's writings. Brago is not the name of any horse in the book. It's actually the name of the second king of Rohan from about 500 years prior. Oh, so that's where he's like, oh, it's a kingly name. Yeah, 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 pretty much, yeah, because it's just a, it's like a, a wink, wink, nod, nod. Because, yeah, the, the, the kingdom of Rohan, the people of Rohan, descended from the a, a tribe of the Edain who lived in the northeast of Middle-earth um, around Mirkwood. And then um, they, they kept being invaded. Um, sorry, Gondor was being invaded from some Easterling-type people, and they assisted with that, and in return, a great friendship. Caledhorn, I think, is what the, the land's called, but the, the friendship sprouted up between them, and Gondor 
and Rohan swore oaths to always be allies and friends to each other. And as we see it's a world in decline, so Theoden and Gondor aren't on the best of terms at the moment. They're not allies, they're not enemies, but, you know. We then see that Grima has took a horse and fled to Orthanc, where Saruman is being told about everything. And Grima shows how much of a little bastard he is. He's very uh, smug about the fact that there's women and children that were slowing everyone down on the way to Helm's Deep, so Saruman dispatches the wags. Uh, it, it's at this point that Saruman also learns about Aragorn, and he mentions the Ring of Barahir, which yeah, I Yeah, and he's about. like, oh, Gandalf clearly thinks that he's got the air. It's the, the air of a seal door. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then we, we go back to Sam Frodo and Gollum. Not much happening here, except Sam calls Fro- uh, Gollum stinker, and Frodo has a bit of a bitch fit about it. He's like, oh, don't call him that. But then uh, Gollum and Smeagol... Very thoroughly modern. Yeah. Uh, Gollum and Smeagol have a good old chat where Smeagol gets rid of Gollum and he becomes much more helpful. And I don't know how really to put this, but when Smeagol goes from being Gollum to being Smeagol and then tries to ingratiate himself to to Sam and Frodo much more and is constantly kind of like looking for their approval, this might be a bit of a dark thing to bring up, but I grew up in like quite a rough area and and I've been around some like not-so-nice people. It always reminds me of like heroin addicts or, or like really serious alcoholics who when they're trying to get clean they almost revert to like a lot of them revert to like a childlike state of wanting to to be uh, to be praised as if they're looking for that serotonin hit yeah from like people praising them and that's like the vibe i get from Gollum. and i know it's weird to say but it just always like really does stick out to me um but then they've got one of the best scenes ever where the potato scene with Gollum and sam where potatoes Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. And uh, <laughs> what's taters, precious? <laughs> well, they're talking about that. Um, but in the background, did you notice uh, there was bird calls like the whole time through that scene? Yes. So I've watched this so many times, right? I'd never co- clicked on until this time watching it. That's like the Faramir's Rangers. You can hear that's their calls to each other. Is that them communicating like battle language? Right. Which uh, is pretty cool, but I just thought, why is no one reacting to this? Yeah, from, yeah. Apart from Frodo, is it? Yeah, Frodo. Yeah, you said like, what? What did you say about Frodo at this point? He's always wandering off. Yeah, just honestly, just go. stay still. Poor Sam. It's like having a child. Yeah. <laughs> Poor bastard. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, um, the Gollum saying um, about cooking a nice. Uh, sorry, Sam saying about cooking a nice brace of cornies and. What have you and Gollum's, uh, it always makes me giggle because Gollum's like, give it to us raw and wriggling. <laughs> it's fucking great. But yeah, not, not much happens as we come towards the end of the film. They, they see Oliphants for the first time or uh, to give them the proper name, the Mumakil, uh, which are massive, massive elephant creatures who, who march uh, by the Haradrim. So you've got the Easterlings coming from the east, surprisingly. And then you've got the Haradrim who are coming up from the south and they're both trying to join Sauron, they're going to Mordor. But the rangers of Athelion, which are Gondor, Gondor's rangers, um, named after the city of Athelion, ambush and kill them uh, before they capture Frodo and Sam. And the last thing we really do is we meet Faramir, um, who is Boromir's brother, who is also one of the most noble and kind of like amazing characters. And that's where part one of The Two Towers ends. It released on September the 11th, 2001. And it didn't. That was another nine eleven. I shouldn't keep making nine eleven jokes. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, but I did when I was a kid. I always did confuse two towers and twin towers, and I still occasionally do. 
when I'm not thinking. But yeah, um, so how's your how's your Lord of the Rings journey going so far? Good. I'm I'm getting better with the names. Mm. It's very heavy on names. Well, what you don't know is that this is all just a precursor before we start tackling it topic by topic. Oh, I just feel like I'm not need a dictionary to... or like you could be saying any names at this point. <coughs> You okay. could be talking complete rubbish and could just be insane. I am. And I'm just having to take your word for it. Yeah, um, there is appendices, there is glossaries, there's all sorts of tools. If I'm ever feeling bored. Pretty much, yeah. But I'm not training up another co-host to, to do topic by topic. This is your boot camp, is this. You know, uh, what are your thoughts about going forward into the rest of the trilogy? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We're exactly halfway through now, so we've got three more discs to go. But uh, yeah, so we've got... Second part of uh, Two Towers next week, which is a lot of payoff for, for the build-up. And then after that, Return of the King, which I think might be my favourite film of the trilogy. But we'll see. Well, yeah, uh, that's it from us for, for now. We hope to see you back next week with Two Towers Part 2. And um, if you've got any questions in the meantime, get in touch. So I'm going to say good night from me, from Chris. Good night from Rebecca, and thank you for listening. Okay, then. Bye-bye.